Hi there, and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex for BTN.com, and this is another football focus episode of this podcast. Each week I get BTN.com's Tom Dean Hart on the phone, and we call up a national college football analyst for these football focus episodes to discuss anything and everything that is going on in the sport, and we use them to help fit the Big Ten and what's going on in the Big Ten into a wider perspective. And these guests never cease to amaze me with the amount of knowledge they're able to keep track of. And uh, this week's national guy that we got really kicked it up a notch. We brought in ESPN insider Phil Steele, who I'm still not convinced isn't a robot or or some sort of computer because he rattled off more stats and facts for more teams than I'll ever be able to remember if I I tried, even if I put in as much time as he does. And uh, we also get into Phil's background a little bit before we get into the meat and potatoes of the discussion and for some added context into who phil is if you're not too familiar i encourage you to google him and read up on the insane amount of time he spends covering college football um his dedication something to behold to be sure and we got a little taste of that here on the show so before we get to that discussion with tom and phil a couple of reminders for our listeners out there first as always please subscribe to the show on apple podcasts or Google Play or Podbean if you haven't already, and leave a rating and review if you like it. Um, second, I just want to remind everyone about the BTN store on btn.com. Uh, the podcast is offering a promo for that particular store where you can get all the latest gear, threads, merch, fit, you know, whatever the kids are calling it these days. And uh, this is not stuff to, uh, to sneeze at that we got available on the website. This is your latest team branded apparel whether it be nike jordan lebron adidas under armor or if you need something to spruce up your work or living space they've got school themed items as well from blankets clocks to doormats and when i saw those on the website honestly i wasn't sure like if you're an ohio state fan if you get a michigan doormat or if you want one for your own team because do you really want to be rubbing your you know dirty shoes on your own team but I'll leave that up to you uh, when you go on the on the store and, and place your order. And here's the important part to get the discount. Go to btn.com and click the shop tab at the top of the screen and use the promo code TAKE10 at checkout. That's all caps, T-A-K-E, the numbers one and zero, and you'll get 10% off your order. Once again, that is TAKE10. So do that right after you listen to our discussion with the incomparable Phil Steele, which starts right now. Very pleased to be joined, as always, by BTN.com senior writer Tom Deanhart calling in from his home near St. Louis. And once again, we're bringing in a national analyst as a guest to provide a broader perspective on the Big Ten. This week, we're very lucky to be joined by Phil Steele. He's an ESPN insider, writer at philsteele.com, author of the yearly legendary Phil Steele college football preview, and, and basically he's an all-around football swami. You can follow him on Twitter, at philsteele042. Phil, thanks for joining us this morning. How you doing? Hey, I am doing great. How about you, gentlemen, this morning? We're great. Love the enthusiasm. <laughs> We're all uh, ready to talk some college football. And uh, before we even get to any of the specifics, Phil, first of all, I've got to ask, uh, on game days, you tweet pictures of the, the setup you have to watch and take in all the football games. And, and I don't even know what that is, if it's a man cave or a basement or an office. Just, just tell me about the, the setup you got with, it looks like, at least 12 TV screens in, uh, in your house. 
Yeah, it's right here in my uh, my office. Uh, I do have an office, which is about three minutes from my house, so it's pretty convenient. But uh, yeah, I got twelve TVs, and then I got a couple of computer monitors off to the side, which I can never squeeze in there. And if there's games on maybe ESPN three on the regular TV, I watch them there. But uh, you know, it's something that uh, I start watching the games at twelve o'clock noon, finish whenever that doggone Hawaii game ends at uh, whatever time <laughs> in the morning, and. Uh, uh, but it's a tough job, guys. But somebody's got to do it, you know. <laughs> you're the guy. You're the guy who stays up and watches the fourth quarter of the Hawaii game. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. Yeah, you invented. Uh, I'll, and I'll, you invented Pac-12 after dark then. <laughs> I, I prefer if they had more afternoon games, but uh, that's that's just the way it goes nowadays. And a lot more games are on TV now than they were like 10, 15 years ago. I know. Yeah, the beauty. Hey, Phil, I, 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 I've been a big fan of yours, obviously, for years. Corresponded a lot. And I, I, I got to ask real quick about just the, the manpower and the process of putting together that college football preseason Bible you do every year. Yeah, we, we start writing it uh, the, sun, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and it takes a full six months into the year. There's actually three write-throughs. The first one is a postseason write-through where we read every article that was written about the team from the previous year and do the, the write-through for the upcoming year. Then there's a pre-spring write-through where you factor in the freshmen that were signed, any unexpected losses. There's a post-spring write-through, which is after the spring games are over. And then uh, I get to talk to the coaches after the spring is over and try to talk to as many of them as I can to fine-tune everything. i got about 12 to uh, 15 people that work for me, and we work on nothing but college football from the uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving till June the 1st, and then finally take a breath when that baby gets off to the press on June 1st. And you're in the Cleveland area, right? Yeah, right in the Cleveland area, uh, about, about a mile off of Lake Erie, so uh, just, just right off of uh, 12 minutes from downtown, right off the lake. Are you going to go to any playoff games here? Baseball, you big Indian fan? <laughs> uh, there's only one sport for me, Tom, and that's football. I don't okay. have time to cover okay. baseball, basketball. You could you could ask me about uh, baseball and basketball, and you get a bunch of uh, dumb responses. Okay. I only follow football. Phil, you called okay, the uh, the college football Bible, and, and you're doing God's work, obviously, with uh, covering every team. Take me inside that. <laughs> take me inside that room. Uh, just as far as like besides the TVs. The setup you got going on, like, like, what's the chair like? Like, do you get up and, and walk around, have to have to catch your breath during the day, or, you know, what's what's going what's on in there aside from the TVs? Yeah, I, I do try to, to get up and, and move a little bit while I'm watching the game. Sometimes I walk up to the TVs and back, and and of the twelve TVs, I usually have volume on maybe two, three, potentially four, but it is tough to follow along when you got volume on four TVs. So generally, three's the most. The box on the right, the four games I mainly watch. I can tell you every play of uh, the game from each one of them. Uh, you know, for 10 years from now, I could tell you every play of the game. And then you look at the ring around it, those are the ones where I could tell you every other play. And then the outside ring where the well, I call them TVs 10, 11, and 12 are, I usually follow like every third play of the game. I don't capture them all, but you get a real good feel for the game because you can tell who's winning, who's losing. And then I do go through the play-by-play of every single game on Saturday night through Sunday morning and into Monday. So it's uh, it's one of those things where I do try to watch as much as I can. And you learn a lot watching the games because I like to watch a line of scrimmage a lot and see who's dominating that. Yeah, and final question about uh, your protocol. I-, I won't ask you how much your cable bill is, but I do want to ask, because I saw a stat uh, in an article about you that you hadn't been to a college football game in person in a while. When's the last time you've actually been to a college football game uh, in attendance in person? 
Uh, it's probably been over 25 years. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, people ask me, why don't you go to a game? And I'm like, if I go to one game, I'm going to miss 24 <laughs> games on TV yeah. and uh, and be way behind on going through the play-by-plays of the game, so just don't have time to go. And, you know, there's really, in the Cleveland area, there's no uh, team right here. I mean, there is Akron and Kent, they're close by, but... I'm I'm much better off following the 12 games on TV than I am going to the games. Yeah, I don't I definitely don't blame you there. Uh, those games are probably a little better than the action you got going in that neighborhood. Um, so we'll move on now, and we'll start off as we always do with these episodes, just getting some initial impressions from you guys from the previous weekend in college football. Tom, we'll start with you, real quick. Uh, just a quick synopsis: some initial impressions from the weekend that was in the Big Ten. You know what? Um... I thought maybe Maryland had lost all that mojo from the season opening win versus Texas after they lose their first two quarterbacks to injury. What do the Terps do? They go on the road to a Minnesota team that had two weeks to prep with a third-string quarterback, and Maryland won in impressive fashion. So the Terps are not dead. Great job by D.J. Durk. In Michigan State, I found out a lot about defensively. They looked pretty good. Um, this team may – it's not going to win the Big Ten East, but it may be a factor in having a saying who does. And then I guess guys in Nebraska, I know it was only Rutgers and then Illinois, but still Nebraska's won two games in a row. They've got some life. They have some mojo for that big game this weekend with Wisconsin coming into Lincoln. Yeah, Phil, um, we'll open it up to the national scale for you. Feel free to give your take on Big Ten teams as well. But uh, what are some initial impressions of week five in college football? Well, for the second straight week, we've seen Clemson and Alabama start to pull away from the field a little bit. Uh, when I look at Auburn, I see a potential top-10 team. Remember, their only loss this year was in Death Valley to Clemson by eight points. So watch out for Auburn as the season goes along. And remember that Georgia-Notre Dame game that Georgia won by a point on the road? Yep. Both those teams have looked great in every other game. Every time Georgia wins, Notre Dame wins, and that makes Georgia stronger. And when Georgia wins, it seems to make Notre Dame stronger. So watch out for Notre Dame and Georgia. A couple of teams are uh, with the one game that the, the two teams have combined to lose was by one point, and it was the other team. Yeah, and uh, you bring up those two teams, Clemson and Alabama. And in that context, I, I – have to think about where Penn State fits in. They're the number four team in the country, but like you said, we've got two teams that kind of look head and shoulders above the rest. And even with all that talent Penn State has and the 5-0 and start, Phil, I'm curious, do you put them anywhere near that stratosphere or in that stratosphere of Alabama or Clemson, or is it pretty much those two and uh, everybody else is at least a tier below? Yeah, I think they're close. Uh, like that Peyton Manning nationwide commercial, uh, you were close, but Almost there. You're doing a great job, that type of thing. Uh, when I look at Penn State, uh, I've got them uh, overall number 13 on offense, number 10 on defense this year. A team like Oklahoma, I've got number 1 on offense, number 17 on defense. But when you move it up to the Alabama-Clemson level, I've got Alabama number 2 on offense, number 1 on defense, and Clemson number 8 on offense and number 2 on defense. So I think right there you have two teams that are clearly a slight part ahead of Penn State and Oklahoma. But the good thing about college football is when you think you know everything, just wait two weeks because a lot of things are going to change. And if they start having some close wins and maybe Penn State and Oklahoma start winning big, you know, just three weeks ago in my Vegas power ratings, I had Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma all within point two of each other. Now there's a larger gap because of the way they've been playing. But at this moment, right now, Alabama and Clemson do appear to be the 1A level, and then 1B would be your teams like Penn State, Oklahoma. And I'm going to throw in Ohio State in that category. The Buckeyes, number four on offense, number seven on defense, they're a pretty good team as well. I know they've got that loss to Oklahoma, but don't count them out. Hey, yeah, Jeff Phil, and I know it's early. I know it's early, early October, but 
<clears throat> who do you think right now is, is, is Ohio State or Penn State the best Big Ten team? And when it's all said and done and we get to, to January, you think the Big Ten team will, 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 the Big Ten will have a team in the playoff? Uh, I do believe the Big Ten will have a team in the playoff, yes. And I'll give you a unique answer here, Tom. If uh, all those four teams, there's four main contenders in the Big Ten, as you know, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. You put all four in a neutral field, and the one team I would favor over all the rest right now would be Penn State. I think Penn State's the most complete team. And, you know, talking to Coach Franklin each year he's been there, I can tell you that first year I talked to him, we go over his team, they went about one deep. And you get to the second string, and you got question marks all over the place. The offensive line was a save. Uh, it was really not a great team. This year I'm talking to him, we're down to the fourth string defensive lineman. I'm like, wow, this guy might have had a chance to start back in year one. So he's got depth at every position. Wrote an article for ESPN.com, and they asked me, it said, name of the weakness of Penn State. Penn State doesn't have an actual weakness. They've got a whole bunch of strengths. You know, you might say, well, a unit that might be rated number 20 in the country, not a real weakness. So right now, if all the teams are playing in a neutral field, I'd say Penn State's the best team. But throw you a curveball here. I think Ohio State wins the Big Ten, and here's why. Penn State has to host Michigan a few weeks from now. That's a huge game. They're trying to get revenge for the previous year's blowout. Michigan will likely come in unbeaten. It's a whiteout condition. It's at night. you got to play your A-plus game. The very next week, Penn State's got to travel to Columbus. And Columbus could be fired up. Ohio State playing with revenge for that block field goal touchdown at the end of the game. And Ohio State's fresh off a bye. So it's a huge scheduling advantage for Ohio State there. That's why I think they beat Penn State in that game. Even though right now I'd say Penn State's a slightly more talented team, the situation really favors Ohio State. And I think when all the the, uh, smoke clears, you're going to see Ohio State win the Big Ten and make the playoffs. Hey, hey, Phil, real quick now. Hey, one one, one follow-up on that. Wisconsin, my friend. I know you know their schedule. I know you've seen them play. Tell me, buddy, is Wisconsin going to go to Indianapolis 12-0? I think they will. You know, you look at their road test. This this week is probably their toughest road test, and I think they pass it with flying colors. Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota on the road, all very winnable. And it's tough to go into Madison, Wisconsin, come out of there with win. I think they have one of the best home field advantages. They have one of the best defenses, despite losing a couple of guys in the preseason like they did in August. Uh, they are holding opponents to 157 yards below their season average, which is among the tops in the country. And what I said in the magazine at the start of the year was they would finally have their best run game they've had uh, under Chris. You go to the first two years, they were atypical numbers running the football as they averaged just 3.8 yards per carry and 4.3 yards per carry. Well, they're finally back up to that 5.1. They've got a veteran quarterback in Hornerbrook. The special teams are solid. I think Wisconsin is 12-0 and for that big battle in the Big Ten title game yeah i can't wait till some of those uh you know top of the conference titans start matching up in the meat of the big 10 schedule uh a few weeks here it's gonna be a lot of fun to, to follow and phil that's a lot of really good stuff we see why uh how, how that all those hours pay off um you know in the in the fan cave um i want to stick on penn state before we move on a little bit and i want to talk about saquon barkley because we can't go a week without talking about him he, he does something every week it feels like that uh blows your mind and and it seemed like he really opened a lot of you know national eyes for, for those poor souls out there who were still sleeping on him with his performance against Iowa. And then, of course, he follows that up with the uh, 98-yard kickoff return touchdown on, on the opening kick against Indiana on a play where, again, it just looked like he had another gear and was on a different planet than uh, some of the guys he was going against. So, Tom, I'll start with you. Uh, in your mind, is there any doubt that Saquon Barkley is the Heisman frontrunner right now? 
You know, I think he's right there, guys, but I, I, I don't want to dismiss Oklahoma's Baker Mayfield at this point. Um, you know, Mayfield's a special quarterback, and what he did a few weeks ago in Columbus, Ohio, to the Buckeyes was awfully, awfully impressive to go into that environment and to win in that manner against that opponent. So I think right now it's probably a, a dead heat between Mayfield and Saquon Barkley. After that, you can make an argument for any number of players, I think. Sam Darnold's star has fallen. Maybe the fall kid of Washington State's moved up the ladder. I still love Lamar Jackson. But, again, I now, guys, I think it's got to be Mayfield Barkley. I, I guess I'm not ready to say either guy has a slight edge at this point. Phil, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to add one more name to Tom's list there. I do think Barkley Mayfield are right at the top, but also Bryce Love of Stanford. Uh, he already has 1,088 yards rushing. He's averaging 11.1 yards per carry. He could do it on special teams as well. Last week against Arizona State, over 300 yards. And, you know, it'd be third and nine, and they just hand the ball to Bryce Love, 61-yard touchdown later. Uh, they're a team where I think Bryce Love has to be included in the conversation. But the good thing is, Tom, as a Heisman voter, I am not making up my mind till the season is dead over. I want to wait till the very last game is played and then decide upon it. We've seen a lot of these Heisman frontrunners at the start of the year fall apart, but I think those three are clearly at the top. Yeah, it's fun to talk yeah, about it now team. and break it down every week, but like you said, you know, a lot, lot, of, lot of season left and a uh, long way to go, and guys could fall off the map like we've seen people like uh, Darnold and, and others do in Rudolph. recent weeks. Yeah, Rudolph as well. Um, sticking on Barkley but opening it up to uh, a, a wider scope in terms of running backs in the Big Ten, I mean, I see the Big Ten having a ton of strong running backs. Of course, you got Saquon. There's Ty Johnson at Maryland, uh, J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State, Akron Wadley at Iowa, Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. Those are some that immediately come to mind. But uh, I feel like I don't really have the national perspective to make the assessment that the Big Ten has the best running backs as a uh, conference in the country. So, Phil, I'm curious to get your opinion. Um, is, it, is there a conference out there that has a uh, you know stable of running backs as strong as the Big Ten has, or, or am I just biased and uh, thinking that because I only see the Big Ten pretty much every week exclusively? I'd say there's two conferences that are close. Uh, going back to the Pac-12, Bryce Love right at the start. Then you look at Royce Freeman for Oregon. Now, he'd be higher on everybody's uh, slate, but last year he had like 950 yards rushing, so he didn't top 1,000. And I think people stop. If you don't have 1,000 yards, they forget about you. Freeman, of course, had a story pass. Phillip Lindsay's a dynamic running back at Colorado. Miles Gaskins at Washington. And then Ronald Jones. Uh, at USC. So they've got plenty of talented guys that the NFL scouts are looking at. And then the SEC. Now, they don't have that marquee guy because, like at Alabama, they've got Damian Harris, Najee Harris, and Bo Scarborough. Now, those three running backs combined for 814 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. Most of those three guys would be starting for almost any other team in the country, but they're splitting the carries in the backfield. Georgia's splitting the carries between Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, DeAndre Swift. They've got combined 968 yards, 6.3 yards for Kerry Auburn's got Kerry on Johnson, Cam Martin, and Kerry on uh, Petway, and they've got over 5.1. And then you look at guys like Darius Geis, John Kelly of Tennessee, Benny Snell of Kentucky. So I think those two conferences come close to the Big Ten. And with Barkley, though, is the front runner. I think the national attention still would, would probably agree with your statement, but I think it's pretty close between those three. Yeah, and Bo Scarborough, one of those guys you mentioned, he, he's one of those guys that, you know, you see the high school highlights, and, and still today he looks like the Terminator out there and just looks like a, you know, a terrifying guy to try and tackle. Um, and sticking on the SEC, because I am curious, uh, as an outsider, you know, the SEC 
you know, the hashtag, it means more. And they, they've been so strong in recent years. And now it just seems like they've kind of become, you know, like a UConn women's basketball conference where you got one team at the top and then also Georgia looking like they're in that, uh, that stratosphere as well. But then just a lot of mediocre, mediocre teams and mediocrity below that. So Phil, this is a broad question, but really like what happened to the SEC? Why did a lot of these teams fall off and um, really kind of recede from that uh, that level that Alabama and, and Georgia are at right now? I think what's happened the last couple of years is the strength of the bottom of the SEC, which I do factor into my toughest conference ratings. I mean, you take a look at a team like Vanderbilt. Uh, there was a time 10 years ago when Vanderbilt was like a Rutgers. Okay, it's a gimme win. We're just going to go into Vanderbilt and win. I know Vanderbilt got blown out by Alabama, but they really have a very good defense at Vanderbilt. They've got an improved passing game with Kyle Shermer. They were in a bowl game last year. So even the teams at the very bottom of the SEC, your Vanderbilt's, your South Carolina's, your Kentucky's, these are all bowl-caliber teams. And when you're facing a bowl-caliber team every single week, all of a sudden you're going to have a lot of losses and a lot of upsets during the course of the season. I think that's what's really affected them. Look at the SEC West. Your two teams probably at the bottom. You're looking at Mississippi, Mississippi State, Arkansas. All three are bowl-caliber teams. And I think if you took any of that handful of teams I just mentioned and plied them up against uh, you know, a team like Rutgers, which is, in my mind, a gimme win almost uh, for a lot of teams, or in Illinois, uh, they'd be favored in those games. So I think it's the strength of the bottom at the SEC that's causing that parity other than Alabama. And, and like you said, this year, Georgia, and watch out for Auburn, only lost this year was at Clemson. I think they're a legitimate top-ten team. Yeah, that's a good point. I, do. I think I, 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 I guess I think the coaching in the SEC has really fallen off a lot the last two years, too, uh, Alex and, and Phil. Um, you know, Les Miles leaving LSU, obviously. Hugh Freeze now gone from Ole Miss. Gary Pinkle gone from, from Missouri as well. The Tennessee coaching situation has pretty much been abysmal since Philip Fulmer left. You know, Steve Spurrier gone from South Carolina. So I think Phil made a lot of good points, but I also think you have to look at the coaching situation in that conference too. Well, conversely, guys, I mean, I may come off as sound biased here, but I, I think the coaching in the Big Ten has gotten a lot better the last two, three, four years with some of the guys that have been brought into the league. You know, James Franklin, obviously, a former SEC talent coming from Vanier to Penn State in particular. So, again, coaching's been big, uh, I think, in the Big Ten and maybe been wet, maybe part of what the problem has been in the SEC and in this slight, slight ball so far. Yeah, both good points. That's a good and, point, Tom. I like that. And, and Phil, I, I agree that um, I think we look at these teams and they get blown out by a team like Alabama, 59 nothing, and it kind of skews our perception of, uh, you know, you might think, those teams are uh, are weaker than they actually are, but it's really just Alabama is that good and, and can do that too, even bull caliber and top 25 teams. So uh, I like that you pointed that out. Um, we're going to move on to a segment we do every week called uh, Whose Stock is Sliding and Whose is Soaring. And um, as usual, we'll, we'll let Tom handle the Big Ten and Phil open it up to the national scale. So, Tom, starting with you, who's Big Ten? Give me uh, one Big Ten team whose stock is soaring and one whose is sliding. You know, we talked a lot about Penn State, and you could always go with them about every week, but I'm going to go Ohio State. Um, it's sort of funny to say they've been off the radar, but I think they've kind of been off the radar the last few weeks. A lot of that's because of the opponents they played. You know, they lost in that high-profile game with Oklahoma. They sort of a regroup since then. <laughs> you know, beat teams like Army, UNLV, and, and, and Rutgers, and they've got um, Maryland coming into Columbus this weekend. So, again, um, yes, it hasn't been the greatest of opposition, but still, 
the last few weeks have given Ohio State a chance to sort of fine-tune its offensive engine. <clears throat> we all know the issues that face the Buckeye offense. More will be revealed, as they like to say, in some of the games Phil talked about earlier in this segment when the Buckeyes start knocking heads with some of the heavyweights. But for now, guys, I think the Buckeyes' stock is soaring. They're a little bit under the radar. Everybody's in love with Penn State. Meanwhile, the Buckeyes are sort of regrouped and trying to get that offense in gear, and they look really good the last three weeks. How about sliding, Tom? You know, uh, sliding-wise, uh, are we starting to see the wheels come off P.J. Fleck at Minnesota? <clears throat> you know, a lot of love in that 3-0 start. Again, Middle Tennessee, Buffalo, Oregon State. Still, they were nice wins for Flex team, but that loss last week was brutal, I thought. Uh, they had the number one rush defense in the nation, number one scoring defense in the nation. Going into that game, I talked earlier about how Maryland came out with a third-string quarterback, and they ran a rough shot over that quote-unquote great gopher defense. And the guy's Connor Rhoda. He's a nice quarterback, but he certainly isn't a difference maker. Watch this week. At Purdue, the Gophers are in West Lafayette. Purdue's had two weeks to prep. P.K. Fleck versus Jeff Braun, two first-year coaches. Both these teams have their sights set on bowl games. You know what? I think if you're Minnesota, if you're Purdue, you have to win that game if you really want to get to a bowl. Yeah, personally, I was really uh, impressed by by Maryland and you know going in there with Max Bordenschlager, who you know wasn't was at the bottom of. Uh, our minds in the bottom of the depth chart, and after losing two starting quarterbacks to season-ending injuries, uh, P. Grom and uh, Kasim Hill, we all assumed that the Terps were doomed, like you mentioned earlier, Tom. So that was impressive for me. Uh, Phil, hey, well, this, hey, 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 yeah. Alex, know this, too. They had, they had a transfer from North Carolina in Caleb Henderson, who I really thought was maybe maybe win the quarterback job in Maryland. He got hurt. So in some ways, Borgeslager may be the number four, four quarterback. Star. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a depth that Durkin's assembling there. Uh, Phil, we'll open it up to a, a national scale. Give me one team. Feel free as well to uh, pick Big Ten teams if you like, but give me one team whose stock is soaring and one who is sliding. Yeah, and Tom, I agree with that. I think Henderson probably would have won that starting quarterback job had he been healthy in August, so that's interesting there. Now, the stock soaring, I could say Clemson, but I'm, I'm going to go with somebody else that's sort of off the radar a little bit, and that's TCU. DC with that big win over Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State's a very good football team. In fact, don't discount their chances of making the playoffs quite yet. They lost that game against TCU at home, but they still get Oklahoma at home. And if they get to the Big 12 title game and take on a team like TCU, they'd have a shot at revenge, and they might just be favored in all the rest of their games besides that Oklahoma game. But TCU has the best defense in the Big 12. We know that they have the offense as well. And it's good to see Kenny Hill not making some of those mistakes he made last year. Darius Anderson has got to get you 6.2 yards a carry. And their receiving core last year dropped the most passes in college football. But there's just so much talent that they have in the sec- in the receiving core. You know, a guy like John D'Arce, the LSU transfer, Turpin, Rigor, White, that they they probably leave defensive coordinators nightmares. So they are a complete team. And they've got one of the more underrated coaches out there in Gary Patterson. So I'm going to say stock soaring, TCU, and I can't wait till their showdown when they play Oklahoma on the road. And then for sliding, I don't think you could slide much quicker than Mississippi State. Remember they were the uh, the team yeah. of the month the team of the, after they they beat LSU 37 to 7 at home. Not only joined the uh, the AP poll, but they were all the way up there contending for a top 10 spot. 31-3 Georgia, 49-10 Auburn. And, you know, here's one stat I pointed out uh, prior to the LSU game, and that is that on the year, while Mississippi State's defense, which had been allowing like 250 yards per game, much like Minnesota. Minnesota had played a very soft schedule. That's why their defense was their statistic. 
but my rankings are only about number 26 defensively. Mississippi State had that 87-yard fumble or bad snap against Louisiana Tech. They got batted all the way back down the field. That counted as an 87-yard loss. If you took that play out of the game against Louisiana Tech, they gave up 4.8 yards per carry. They gave up 4.8 yards per carry last year. 4.6, 4 4.8, 6.3 since then. They're actually giving up 5.2 yards per carry on the ground, despite the fact their defense only allowing 307. So I think they were a team that was overrated after that LSU win and has now uh, had their stock readjusted. Yeah, and we hear all about the uh, TCU success because our coworker here, uh, Brent Urena, is a Horn Frogs graduate and a, and a big fan. So. We're uh, up to date on that situation, and uh, he's already complaining. He's already complaining uh, preemptively about being left out of the playoff this year. So we have that to look forward to. Um, <laughs> Phil, I, I want to get a. Uh, Who's the guy like that in the office? Yeah, exactly. Phil, uh, just a fun hypothetical from a, a national perspective. I just want to get your thoughts on who you think ha- uh, will have the most success at their respective school. Kind of the hot young head coach discussion, uh, P.J. Fleck or D.J. Durkin? Well, Durkin's been doing a great job on the recruiting right now, uh, so I would have to say in the long run it's probably going to be Durkin. I've been very impressed. Now, last week, uh, you know, down in the third-string quarterback, I thought they would struggle at Minnesota, so coming out of there with the win, beating Texas on the road was a big win there, so uh I'm going to put Durkin up there right now, but uh, don't discount P.J. Fleck. I know that you know, I've talked to him every year when he was at Western Michigan, talked to him this year in Minnesota, and I think he's a guy that uh, will get this team playing well. I just don't think, you know, Minnesota fans always harken back to what was it, the time it was the 60 Rose Bowl or something like that, the <laughs> last time that they actually, yeah, it's been a long time. I remember they had yeah. teams with, like, Bobby Bell and the defense That's line, but yeah, it's a long, long time ago. Minnesota fans want that again. I don't know if that's coming back to Minnesota. But uh, I, I think Fleck will have a success with the Gophers as well. But I'll, I'll give you the slight edge of Durkin. Did you guys see your colleague, uh, Scott Van Pelt, his tweet? He had a, As soon as uh, his alma mater, Maryland, beat Minnesota, he tweeted out a picture of a turtle rowing the boat. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, nice. Hey, Phil, hey, Phil it's, big, it's Big Ten West. Real quick, I really love your, your two cents on Nebraska, my friend. Um you know the situation out there. Sean Eichhorst gets fired after the Northern Illinois debacle. Nebraska's three wins this year. A hanger-on job against Arkansas State. And then, of course, we talked about Rutgers and Illinois. No real impressive wins. Um, I mean, to see what direction you think Nebraska will take this year. Well, unfortunately, their next two games, they host Wisconsin and host Ohio State. I don't uh, perceive a great deal of chances uh, in those games because the defenses are taking on because Tanner Lee tends to toss a couple of turnovers, and those two teams will definitely be grabbing anything you throw at them. They can get pressure on the quarterback. And I think after a couple of tough losses like that, which I believe Nebraska will have, then all of a sudden you're looking at a team that's 3-4, and four, and I think the pressure will just continue to build with Mike Riley. Frankly, I was a little surprised at the hire in the beginning, because remember when they ran the option, pretty much an option, run-based offense, and then went to Bill Callahan and then struggled for years and then sort of got back to it with Pelini go to more of a pass-based offense, I didn't really think was the fit for Nebraska. I thought their niche was in, in the running game, and we'll see how that works. I have great respect for Mike Riley. He's always got the most out of the talent that he puts on hand, but I didn't know if he was a great fit at Nebraska. Now, after those two losses, they play Purdue, they host Northwestern, Minnesota. they got a chance to regroup, probably mm-hmm. get to a bowl, but uh, I think a couple of weeks from now we're going to be talking uh, about a 3-4 and four Nebraska team, and that's not going to be a good situation there. 
Yeah, and stick don't it you up. Ever wonder, don't, don't you ever wonder what if, what if they never fired French Solis? Yeah. Oh, man. Solis just gets it done he's every year at Ohio. Yeah, he's still coaching. Still winning. Yeah, doing a great job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we saw, we saw Solis against uh, your, your Purdue guys, uh, Tom. But uh, I want to stick in the West with uh, – Another passionate fan base, another another team that um, isn't really reeling. I mean, they have two straight losses that are nothing to be ashamed of. I'm talking about Iowa. Um, they they lost to uh, Penn State, and Michigan State back to back weeks. Um, but I mean, if you're an Iowa fan, and I think they recognize this in that Western Division, Wisconsin's not about to lose twice. So, Tom, if you're an Iowa fan right now, like, what do you? How do you view this season? What's the outlook now? Um, you know, get to another bowl game and and keep it rolling, or Ferentz, or what? Just what are you thinking as a Hawkeye, fi- Hawkeye fan right now? Yeah, you know, 19th year there, a lot of success. But like you said, Alex, I mean, they already have the two league losses at home to Penn State. And last week at Michigan State, there's some there's some issues with the personnel, obviously, on offense. You still always yearn for more explosive playmaking ability. Again, that's an annual cry there as well. So, again, um, you know, Nate Scanley's been good and, and, and uh, Wildy as well, but still with two losses. It's an uphill battle, and if Wisconsin gets out of Lincoln with a win this weekend, Bill talked about their schedule. Um, it's going to be hard to see them not win that thing. And, guys, the real team in the West, a lot of people thought could be the darling. Maybe the, the team that's pulling on Wisconsin's cape was Northwestern, but, again, they got hammered at Duke. And then last week they were losing 31-10, to 10, I believe it was, before they rallied late. So, again, Northwestern to me has been a little bit of a disappointment. And they don't look like they're ready to stand toe to toe with Wisconsin, obviously. Yeah, Phil. After say you're an Iowa fan, um, put yourself in their shoes, and you know after tasting the success of the playoff in the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago, and then having some early season losses these last couple of years that kind of put them out of contention for another season like that. Like, are you content right now as an Iowa fan? You know, getting a shot at at a dream season like that every you know five years or so, or or are you getting you know restless with what's going on? Just, I'm trying to get a broader, zoomed-out perspective of uh, what you think is the expectation there. Yeah, if I was an Iowa, I mean, coming into the season, if you look where I picked Iowa in the Big Ten this year, I thought with the talent they have coming back and the schedule that they had to play, I mean, hosting Penn State, hosting Ohio State, that means most of your winnable games in the Big Ten are on the road, and they have to play North. Yet to come on the road at Northwestern, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, home to Ohio State. So they've got some more losses uh, in the offing for them. And I wasn't overwhelmed with the overall talent they have on this year's team. You look at the receiving core, Wadley's the top receiver right now. Uh, and the offensive line, uh, I, I thought good, but not the best offensive line in the country like they were voted last year. Defensively, I like the linebacking core, but this is a team so far this year that really hasn't hit stride. Remember the Penn State game? They took that thing to the wire, but they were actually outgained by 306 yards, out first down 29 to 11. They were sort of fortunate to be in the game. Same thing last week with Michigan State, and I think we'll see some more losses coming up. But if I'm an Iowa fan and I've got Kirk Ferentz as my head coach, who are you going to find better? And I think he yeah. will get them to the to the big game every three or four years like he does. And I, I have uh, higher hopes for Iowa next year than I did coming into this year. Yeah, and that team could have lost that, that team could have lost to Iowa State so easily. Yeah, they, they were sure out yeah. OT. Um, and Phil, Phil, you talked about that schedule, guys. I was running through my head, Alex, Phil, with that schedule. This could be a 7-5 or 6-16. 
Yeah, yeah that's about where I picked them at the start of the year, Tom. I was I was thinking with that schedule and the, the talent, yeah. I was looking up probably at uh, six or seven wins this year. For sure. And um, before we look ahead to what week six has in store, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Buckeyes. Um, you know, since that Oklahoma loss, they have uh, taken a big step down on their schedule as far as competition goes, and it's pretty much just prepping for that Penn State game, I feel like, using these uh, inferior opponents kind of as tune-ups and, and gathering strength, and, and you know, they, they've they looked great. They've taken care of business, and they've done it in impressive fashion. But just to get some perspective, after Oklahoma, they've faced uh, Army, UNLV, Rutgers, and then they'll go uh, take on Maryland and go to Nebraska, which is a little bit of a step up, I, I think, from those previous teams before that uh, monster matchup with Penn State. So, Phil, I'm curious to get your opinion. Does a stretch like this against teams that they're clearly better than and probably won't be in very many dramatic close game situations, in your opinion, does that help you get ready for what will be the biggest game of the year to date against a team like Penn State, or does that provide kind of a false sense of security as you're racking up blowouts? I'm going to call it the best-case scenario for Ohio State. Now I'm going to go back to 2014. You know, they struggled on offense against Navy, a very lackluster 34-17 win. They looked horrible against Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, it was a game where they had lost Braxton Miller for the year. You've got JT Barrett. He hits 9-29 for 219 yards. He sacked seven times. This is an Ohio State team that's going to be lucky to get 7-5 this year. They're horrific. They needed a shot of confidence. Then they went out and buried Kent State, Cincinnati, Maryland, Rutgers. It was a much more confident team when they took on Penn State. And that's exactly what this team got this year. They've got their dose of confidence now. They're gaining it by the week. JT Barrett's starting to feel his oats, throwing the football down the field a little bit. Uh, you look at his touchdown-interception ratio, any coach would love 13-1. to Now they've got Weber back, the team with Dobbins in the backfield. The receiving core starting to make some catches for him. The defensive line, one of the best in the country. I just think they were reeling a little bit after that Clemson game, after the Oklahoma game, confidence-wise. And when they play Penn State, like I said before, it's a perfect scenario for Ohio State. Off a bye, fresh, playing with revenge against a team that just played its eight-plus game at home at night against Michigan, and now has to travel on the road. And I think it's if you if you could paint a scenario for Ohio State, you couldn't have painted it any better. Sure, Buckeye fans love to love to hear that. Um, we will leave the pass in the past now and uh, and look ahead to week six. Uh, we got some fun matchups in the Big Ten once again um, and nationally, and we'll start in the Big Ten and the likely most anticipated matchup is going to be that in-state battle, um, Michigan State at Michigan. We all know what happened last time these two teams played in the big house with the uh, the block punt and the stunning finish in Ann Arbor. Tom, uh, John O'Corn's been named the starter over Wilton Spate. Do you think this is going to inject some life into that offense, or do you think it's going to be the same formula that the defense is going to have to win games for them? John O'Corn, Wilton Spade, Wilton Spade, John O'Corn. I mean, is, is there really that much of a difference between those two guys? Um, yes, I know O'Corn came in a few weeks ago at Purdue and ignited what was a lackluster Michigan offense. I think he's either 270 and a touchdown. Um, again, I don't think he's going to make that much of a difference to that offense. Bottom line, I just think Michigan's going to have a, a nice sort of pedestrian type of an offense. Um, no real special running backs, and the wideout court is relatively young. But there is talent. So, again, um, uh, they're at home here, guys. And I'm not saying Michigan State is going to pull the ups, but, upset, but I think it's going to be awfully close. So we know the hatred in this rivalry, the intensity, and um, 
again, I wouldn't be shocked if this game is up for grabs in the fourth quarter. And the only way the Spartans maybe can come out with another win in the big house, guys, I think, they've got to get L.J. Scott and those running backs going. Brian Lewerke can't keep leading this team in rushing. So get L.J. Scott going and try to find some way to scrap out three touchdowns. So maybe one touchdown has to come on defense or special teams. Yeah, Phil, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Michigan State. Um, you know, do you think this is a, a path that D'Antonio has them on back to the stretch of success from, you know, 2009 to 2015, or is this just not a disaster year like last year? What, what, do, you, what do you see out of them that uh, gives you, you know, either reason to pause or uh, hope for the future for them? You know, I have a quick question for Tom before I get to Michigan State. Go for it. Is Brandon Peters at Michigan. Uh, I thought coming out of spring, he would actually challenge Spate for the starting job. I feel he has the most upside at quarterback. Why isn't he in the quarterback mix there? You're probably more well-connected than I am. Well, you know, he's a redshirt freshman. You're right. He's from Indianapolis. Came with a fat resume to Ann Arbor. Highly touted kid. Um, I just don't think they were ready to, to, to entrust him. With the, with the keys to the offense, especially still coming into the season, their first game is against Florida. Uh, I just don't think they wanted to trot him out there under those circumstances. And I think they felt they had their defense was so good that they could probably get by and let, let Peters continue to mature while they could, again, still have a solid offense with either Spade or, or a corner or center. Okay. Now let's talk Michigan State. And uh, I think Michigan State is a much improved team this year, but they still, uh, you look at the overall experience and talent that they have, and this is not your Michigan State team of years past. Yes, they're 3-1. Uh, yes, they just beat Iowa. But as I mentioned, I didn't think Iowa was in for a big year this year. The Bowling Green game was okay. The Western Michigan, they caught Western Michigan the week after Western Michigan went to the wire against USC. Mm-hmm. It was a dominating effort, but once again, it's tough to play your A-plus game in back-to-back weeks. Now, Notre Dame, they, they actually played better than the final score. They had a 141-yard edge in the game. Uh, but overall, when I look at this team, I think when they play the bigger boys down the stretch, like Penn State, Ohio State, uh, probably have a couple of losses. They'll have a good record this year, but I'm not going to put them in the class with Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan right now. Now, this game this week, I think they can make a game of it. I think you have two of the best defenses in the country. Michigan State holding foes to 163 yards below their season average, Michigan to 210. And basically, it's a team that doesn't make the mistake will probably come out and win this thing because you have two offenses that will struggle. As Tom correctly pointed out, uh, I'm shocked that uh, Lewerke is the leading rusher for Michigan State. And the top three rusher, uh, running backs, Scott Holmes in London, not a single one of them is averaging over four yards per carry. It's all below four yards per carry. You like to see more of that out of your running backs coming in. And, you know, the receiving core is okay. I think the secondary, if they take on a high-flying pass attack, which you really haven't yet, can probably be exposed, and we'll see what happens when they actually take on a good quarterback. But this should be a tight, low-scoring game. I see Michigan probably winning this by a touchdown at home. Yeah, we'll move on to uh, Wisconsin and Nebraska. Actually, before we do that, it's a good point, uh, Phil. I mean, Tom and I, when we were on campus last month at Michigan State, I mean, all the talk was, you know, the running backs, and Lewerke's come out and, like you said, led the team in rushing. It's it's, it's pretty unbelievable. But he's, I don't know, he's shown some... We call him Legs Lewerke. He's shown some uh, shown some bursts that I don't think anyone really expected. But um, we'll move on to another matchup. We've we've touched on it a little bit Wisconsin at Nebraska. And, and Tom, I just want to get your thoughts. Um, you know, Nebraska's beaten Rutgers. It wasn't all that convincing. It took care of Illinois. Uh, I was at that game, and it was a 
sorry showing from from the Illini from from my alma mater uh, on a Friday night. They didn't even get into the end zone against the Huskers. So, you know, how good should Nebraska fans really feel right now? They they beat up on probably the two worst teams in the Big Ten, but now two of the best teams in the Big Ten are, are awaiting them. So, you know, is, is there any confidence going into these next couple of weeks, or is uh, is it still is it going to be you know ugly in Lincoln again like we saw prior to these last two wins uh, for Nebraska? I think there's reason to have confidence. Again, I don't want to totally dismiss beating Rutgers in Illinois. There's still wins, and you're going to have some confidence taken from having success anytime you hit the field. And I think the defense, too, guys, um, going back to the second half of the Oregon game, up to last Friday night in Champaign, look at the stats for Bob Diaco's defense. Played pretty well, considering all the yards and points they've led the first, what, six quarters of the season. So the defense keeps playing well. That could keep Nebraska in the ball game, but I guess um, I don't think Nebraska's going to have enough, especially offensively. Uh, you know, uh, Tanner Lee, I think, still leads the country in picks with nine. And I tell you what, guys, for all the love and attention Wisconsin's offense gets, that defense is awfully, awfully good. The front seven in particular, I think the secondary is one of the best in the Big Ten as well. I love the kid from Hawaii, Nick Nelson, Dakota Dixon. I could go on. But, again, um, that defense is going to be what does it for Wisconsin in Lincoln, and like Phil was talking about, this could be a sort of a tough run here uh, for Nebraska in the next few weeks. Yeah, Phil, uh, you know, the consensus has been all season how Wisconsin clearly is on another level in that Western division, but I'm curious, uh, if Wisconsin was in the East with Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, where do you think they'd finish in the East? It really depends on the schedule. You know, who you play at home, who you play away. Uh, True. Because I, I put Wisconsin at that level. I, I have Wisconsin right at the same level with the other three teams. If they had all three teams at home, heck, I'd pick them to win the East. If they had all three teams on the road, I'd pick them for it. So it <laughs> depends where you play them and, and uh, when you play them sometimes. And, you know, as far as this matchup here, you know, I'll give you a stat. In the first six quarters, Nebraska was on pace to allow 59 points per game. But since halftime of Oregon, if you count the last uh, 14 quarters that they've played, and take away those three pick sixes that Tanner Lee's given up, their defense has given up just seven points per game. That's a huge difference. It really adjusted to Diaco's 3-4. Now, Illinois, Rutgers, Northern Illinois, and a letdown Oregon in the second half had something to do with it. But I don't think Wisconsin's going to gain a lot here. It's not one of those 450-yard games because Diaco does have the defense playing well. Let's go back to that Northern Illinois game. I mean, Nebraska had a 171-yard edge in the game. They had a first down edge. It was the, the pick sixes that really cost them. But those pick sixes might just crop up here. You're looking at a Wisconsin defense that's got 16 sacks on the year. Nebraska, uh, I think, will have Tanner Lee under pressure. And in under pressure, that secondary that Tom was talking about could end up with a pick six or two. And if that happens, could be a blowout. Now, if Wisconsin follows true to form, they'll start out slow. It's going to be a heck of a game after the first quarter. And then once you get to the second half, that's when Wisconsin starts to step on you. But I think the Ocos defense will put up a good showing. I like the Badgers to go on the road and get the win. Uh, and, and Tech on the score late to maybe win it by a couple of, you know, by double digits. Yeah, I will give Nebraska some credit. They definitely have tightened the screws. Um, Bobby Echo seems to figure some things out. And I, I don't think it'll be easy for Wisconsin. You know, nighttime in Lincoln, it, it's going to be a great atmosphere, as it always is, especially at night. And, um, yeah, we'll see if Wisconsin sticks true to that, uh, you know, that theme of being a second-half team like we've seen so far. Um, one final Big Ten matchup I want to get to this weekend is Penn State at Northwestern. Um, obviously, Northwestern did not get off to the greatest start this season, but – 
they put up a pretty solid showing against Wisconsin last weekend, and they always seem to drag teams down in the mud with them and, you know, make them earn it. So, Tom, do you think Penn State has any issue with, with Northwestern in Evanston? Uh, you know, BTN Tailgate's going to be there this week. It should be a pretty pretty fun atmosphere there. Do you think uh, Northwestern makes it a game? I don't think so. Um, you know, we talked about, I think Phil talked earlier in this segment about watching the line of scrimmage. And anybody worth their salt who watches a lot of football, talks to coaches, no. doesn't matter about your five-star receivers or your five-star running back. If you're not good up front, you're not going to be good. Northwestern's offensive line is not good. Can't pass, protect, can't really get much of a push in the ground game. I just don't know how they're going to score against Penn State, number one. So Penn State jumps out to a 10, 14-point lead, and, and Clayton Thorson's going to drop back and try to throw the ball 30 times against Penn State. Not going to happen. We don't know how mobile he is. So... I think the party rolls on for the Nittany Lions, and uh, they make a quick work of a Northwestern team that I, I personally think had a way to come in the year. Yeah, we've uh, so we've talked a lot about Penn State, so we'll move on, Phil, to a, a national level. I'm curious to uh, get your thoughts on some of the games that you are looking forward to watching on those 12 TVs this weekend uh, outside of the Big Ten. I know we've got a uh, pretty good matchup in the Big 12. We've got a Pac-12 matchup. It seems like every week now we're talking about Washington State. Uh, who would have thought, you know, three or four years ago that that would be something we'd be, we'd be saying uh, with, with the Cougars. But, Phil, uh, which games will you be looking out for as uh, week six rolls around? Well, a couple big games out there. You know, you, you look at the uh, the NC State Louisville game uh, early on mm. on Thursday. I think that's going to be a, an interesting one. NC State. You look at their one loss that they had this year. Uh, it was in the first game of the season, and they they lost that game to South Carolina. But in that game, NC State actually had a 504 to 246 yard edge, 29 to 12 first down edge. Somehow, some way, they lost that game. Like what I saw when they went into Florida State and won last week was a flat spot against Syracuse. Their defensive front, watch Bradley Chubb in this game against Lamar Jackson. To me, that's going to be the matchup of the week to see if that defensive front can contain Lamar Jackson. I think NC State could potentially pull the upset at home against a, a very good Louisville team. Then out on the West Coast, I'm looking at uh, watching Stanford and uh, Utah. You know, Utah lost their starting quarterback, Huntley, who's really been the perfect fit for that Eastern Washington offense. But they bring Troy Williams in, who was the starter last year. So they're still in good shape. And the thing about Stanford, they've got Bryce Love and all that electricity, but Stanford's defense is not their normal Stanford defense. I thought they would be one of the top D's in the country, but they're actually giving up 445 yards per game, 4.9 yards per carry, and 66% completions. You sort of have to double-check your eyes to make sure you're reading that that Stanford's defense you're looking at. They have the talent on that side of the ball. When I talked to Coach Shaw this year, I thought they had good talent. We'll see if they can go, but I think that's going to be a heck of a game at, uh, at night out there, and uh, Utah's got the advantage of being off a bye at home in the altitude. Meanwhile, Stanford's playing their fifth straight tough game in a row, so I'm pretty fascinated by that. And then even a TCU-West Virginia game in the Big 12, you know, is TCU for real? I think they have the best defense in the Big 12. West Virginia in their opening game in Virginia Tech by about 100 yards could easily have won that, or else they'd be unbeaten right now. I think that's going to be an intriguing game. Yeah, I think I'm going to do hey, something. Hey, 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 real quick. No, no, not to, I'm I know I'm going to real quick. Washington State, Oregon. I know Oregon's quarterback's out. Yeah, well, not only him, but Freeman went out. The backup quarterback, Alley, went out. So it'll be interesting to see who Oregon has available for this game. I, if you gave me Herbert and Freeman and you, Oregon at full health, 
I think Oregon's the better team. They're in a good situation. Catching Washington State off that massive upset of USC, and now they get them at home in Austin Stadium, which is one of the better venues in the country. So I'm probably still leaning with Oregon to uh, knock off Washington State from the wow. ranks of the unbeaten. But I sure wow. would like to have their quarterback healthy, which is not. And I'd like to have Royce Freeman healthy for this as well. Yeah, I'm going to do the. Uh... I'm gonna put a challenge out to listeners, the Phil Steele challenge. We'll uh, we'll see if anyone out there can match the uh, the fan cave in terms of either screens or length duration watching the games. If anyone can go from noon to like 3 a.m. and then if they can, tweet some proof at us, and then we'll uh, I don't know, we'll have to send them a BTN shirt or something like that. But uh, I challenge anyone out there to to go up with the likes of Phil Steele. I appreciate that. Do I get a BTN shirt? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Even though, even though you, even though you're at ESPN, yeah, we'll get you. We'll get you. I'm sure Tom has some old uh, shirts he doesn't wear anymore. He can ship over to you. Yeah, <laughs> don't need to fill in something fresh. Yeah, yeah, we can dig something up. All right, um, real quick, guys, uh, before we go, a lot of good stuff as always, but um, we always wrap up with the the one big moment from the weekend, and that's like a cooler, unique moment in college football that uh, something you don't see every week. So there are a couple things that I saw. I'll start real quick. Um, one was uh, Deshaun Hamilton and setting the Penn State record for receptions. Mm-hmm. I think he caught number 180. And, you know, he's, he's a playmaker. Tom, we talked to him a little bit. Very nice guy uh, at Penn State. Uh, I hadn't realized some of the uh, – just I guess how beloved he is on that campus and some of the stuff he's gone through. Uh, he, he's got a, a brother who I believe is uh, has a severe form of autism – that he has taken care of, and um, you know, it, it was it was detailed really well by my predecessor here at BTN, Sean Merriman. I, I re- went back and read his story, so it was cool to see Deshaun Hamilton get that record and learn a little bit more about him and and the stuff he does off the field. Also, I got to give a shout out to JT Barrett. Just breaks records. It seems like every week he became the all time passing leader yards wise, I believe, at, at Ohio State. So that was uh, that was cool to see. Even though he's sometimes gets a lot of flack, he uh, he's going to be on those record. Uh, on those leaderboards forever. So that was cool. Tom, um, I'll throw it over to you. Were there any big moments you saw this week that uh, that stuck out? Well, just a couple real quick. Troy going to Baton Rouge and beating LSU. I don't care how much the Bayou Bengals are struggling. There's no way under any circumstances should they lose on homecoming, on their turf against Troy. I know Troy's a good program, but still great win for Neil Brown, the Troy head coach. When these jobs start opening up in a month or so, he's going to be an awfully hot commodity. And, guys, just the state of Florida, um, it's interesting looking at the polls. There's four teams from Florida ranked. Miami, UF, South Florida, and Central Florida. The one team not ranked is Florida State. So it's kind of fun to see UCF and, and USF ranked. And, guys, we all know the coaches of Central Florida. It's Scott Frost the former Nebraska quarterback, and he's got an awfully good team this year. He's a, he's a rising coach. Keep your eye on him, too. Yeah, that's wild about Florida State. And uh, until this weekend, honestly, the only thing I really knew about Troy was it's kind of like the last place you pass before getting to p- driving down to Panama City Beach from, from Illinois. It's like you see a giant sign uh, with, I think, like swords on it, and it's Troy down somewhere in the middle of Alabama, and you know that's how you know you're close to uh, spring break. So that was, that was cool to see. Um, Phil, I'll throw it over to you now. Any uh, unique moments or, or cool things you saw in the past weekend of college football? 
Yeah, well, Tom stole my thunder on the Troy because that's what I was going with. I mean, I've talked to I've talked to Neil Brown since he was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky, and we talked each year. Uh, and following him along to Troy and talking to him each year, I know he's doing a great job. And that wasn't one of those fluky things where all oh, six things went right and Troy pulled out the win. They were way up in that game, and the LSU actually got back into it late to only lose the game by three. Troy could easily have won by more. So I think Neil Brown's doing a great job. And then you got to go to Washington State, upsetting USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, USC was down three offensive linemen a good portion of the game, so we'll see what happens, you know, as the season goes on. But uh, to the way the crowd reacted, they, they had lost their last five home games to USC by about an average of 33 points per game. They come out there with that Thursday win. Uh, there's no doubt Mike Leach, who's one of the most fascinating guys in college football to talk to. If you call Coach Leach, you're going to be ta- on the phone for a couple hours. Uh, but uh, Talking just pirates. to get a win like that was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, yeah, shades of uh, Shades of Ryan Reed there in 1997, guys. And uh, that magical season with Mike Price and that crew, going back further to Google that, so 91-92. So Wazoo, about once a decade or so, can get it amped up, and I always love it. I always love the underdog. I love the schools from the small remote towns like Pullman and Lubbock, you know, Blacksburg, you know, Manhattan, Canada. I love when those schools do well, so I love it. Yeah, it's fun to watch. And uh, one more thing I'll bring up before we sign off here. Bring it up every week pretty much, but it's the Iowa Children's Hospital wave, and this is the first time, I feel like a new wrinkle's added to it every week because this is the first time we saw it take it on the road. They were playing at Michigan State, and I think they showed the live feed on the, the video board for the Michigan State fans, and the Michigan State fans did the Iowa Children's Hospital wave from afar. So, again, like every week, it, it seems like uh, a, a cool new wrinkle is added to that already awesome tradition. So, really fun to watch. Guys, uh, really fun to talk to, to both of you. Phil, thanks so much for joining us, and I think you set the record for most stats referenced and most numbers um, you know, <laughs> brought to this discussion. So, so congrats on that. I appreciate that. It was a lot of fun, and uh, always good when uh, when Tom's in the conversation as well. So it was a lot of fun talking to you guys today. For sure. Thanks again. Uh, I know you're busy, Phil. I know you're busy, Phil, and uh, appreciate all you do. Keep up the good work. Hope we can visit again sometime. Yep. Thanks a lot. Let's do it again. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Phil for joining us, and if you are not impressed by that performance by Mr. Steele, you must have heard him before on some other outlet because I'm told he rattles off info on radio shows everywhere, just like you heard on this podcast, like you just did in, in cyborg fashion every time. So that was a privilege to have him on. And before we go, we're also going to get to our newish uh, weekly stat head segment with BTN researcher Harold Shelton because he always has great info as well. And if there's anyone that can shed some light on statistics that uh, Phil Steele can get to, it's Harold. So. I'd love to uh, see those two go toe-to-toe on Sports Jeopardy or Stump the Schwab or something like that. But before we get to the Stat Head segment with Harold, just one last reminder to go to the btn.com store for all your latest Big Ten gear and apparel and get 10% off your order by using the promo code TAKE10 at checkout. That's T-A-K-E-1-0. Once again, go there by getting through our website at btn.com, clicking the shop tab, and putting that promo code in after you've bought all that good stuff. And now we'll get to our stat head segment with our stat head, Harold Shelton. All right, I'm sitting here in the BTN studio with our researcher, Harold Shelton. 
once again, uh, we had a weekend of number crunching for Harold that he does every weekend, and, and uh, now we're getting him on our social media channels. I mentioned last week he's on, he does a digital video some weeks, and uh, I knew I had to get him on the podcast uh, and put those stat packs into, get him out there in front of, in front of as many fans as possible because there's so much good stuff in there. Harold, first of all, I know you got to be a little uh, little relieved now that we're out of the non-conference pretty much because that's a lot less for you to keep track of, right? Absolutely, yeah. Those those first few weeks when you're doing 14 games, 13 games, is definitely tough. Uh, it's even tougher when uh, your coworker's out on a wedding and a honeymoon, so you're kind of <laughs> on an island by yourself for a little bit. So is that a little, little dig at him? You know, he's no, listening. No, you know, you got no, I'm very happy for him. Very happy for him. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's yeah, his honey. It's his wedding, honey. Yeah, you can't get mad at that. Yeah, exactly. Like, all right. Yeah. All right. Everyone's got to take the, take their uh, you know their couple weeks if they get married. So. Absolutely. But it's good to have him back, and it's good that now we're having six or seven games as opposed to the thirteen or fourteen that we had a few weeks ago. All right. Absolutely. So let's get right into it. Um, we'll look back at what happened last week, and when you sent out the weekly briefing, um, one thing that jumped out to me is that Ty Johnson of Maryland is a guy. The running back from Maryland, who you know doesn't get talked about as much because Maryland doesn't get talked about as much, having uh, you know been down for in, in recent years, but he's averaging almost nine yards a carry at that running back position. It, it's got to be near the tops in the country. Um, I think it's tops in the Big Ten. So I want to get your thoughts on if those numbers are you know artificially inflated a little bit due to who they've played or if those still stand out as impressive to you at this point in the season? And if not, what has to happen for him to get a little more a little more run when we talk about the Big Ten's best running backs? Uh, so yeah, Ty Johnson is a very interesting case. Because um, even last year, he led the country uh, averaging nine yards, 9.1 yards in attempt. And, you know, you'd see him run up all these great numbers against FIU and Purdue and Michigan State and UCF. But when he played Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, he was, you know, bottled up. He was under wraps. And this year it was, you know, kind of similar. He had a huge game against Towson. Uh, he was very solid last week against Minnesota. But the UCF game, he had 25 yards on 11 carries. So he could be very feast or famine. Um, he has a chance, you know, this week, national stage on Fox against a great Ohio State front seven to explode and if he does he will absolutely be on a national radar it's games like Ohio State Michigan Penn State where he has to have games that just wow people like put those same numbers up against those three teams as you have against some of the lesser teams yeah for sure and I think everyone expects Ohio State to roll but if Maryland's gonna make it a game you know they're gonna need big performance from Ty Johnson so absolutely we're looking forward to that um Anything else from last week that, that stood out to you, uh, jumped out of the box score at you? Uh, well, you know, Saquon Barkley continues to show why he's probably leading the Heisman race at this point. Um, it was kind of funny when you, you know, entering the year, it was all about the quarterbacks, and you could say arguably now the best two players in the country are a couple running backs with Saquon and Bryce Love from Stanford. But you see his versatility against Indiana. He takes the kickoff return back. Um, he throws a touchdown pass. You see the one-handed catch and the, the stop-start moves he has. I mean, he really is a special player. And the fact that there, he's on a top-five team that's undefeated, that's winning you know, by a lot of points, it can mask the fact that he didn't really run it well out, out of the backfield. But 
James Frank was doing such a good job of getting him involved in other ways, showing off his versatility, and that's kind of been his Heisman campaign. It's, hey, I'm more than just a running back. I'm a really good receiver. I return kicks. I can do it all. Yeah, as we know, Heisman campaigns aren't just built on stats. They're built on hype as well. So running backs, throwing for touchdowns and returning kicks, that's going to certainly help the cause. All right, looking ahead now to week six, uh, we got some big games, probably none more anticipated as far as rivalries go, um, then Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, we'll we'll go ahead and reveal to the audience for anyone who doesn't know you are a Michigan State man, you know. So, but that's not going to cloud your judgment here. Give us some uh, give us some analysis on the the Michigan Michigan State game. Uh, I know that it's been one sided in the rivalry as of late. Michigan obviously still holds the all time lead, but break down those numbers and uh, break down maybe what might be some added motivation for the Wolverines as uh, Sparty comes to town. Yeah, so, you know, this will be the 110th meeting of the rivalry, and it'll be the first time it's played at night. So that already adds, adds even more intrigue to this, uh, to this rivalry, which has been uh, one filled with hatred, maybe more on one side than another. But you add that, now the fact that Michigan State is 3-1 and one entering this game, I think it adds a little bit more juice to it. Um, last year wasn't as much juice when Michigan State was on that big losing streak and Michigan came to town and most people just expected Michigan to roll and Michigan State even played them you know, semi-tough. This year, people, there's an outside chance Michigan State can win the game. Um, and for Michigan, you've lost 7 of 9 against the Spartans. You lost 12 of the last 13 against Ohio State. So you've lost 19 of the last 22 to your main two rivals. These are the kind of games that you hire Jim Harbaugh for. These are the kind of games that you need to win if you want to get back to the, the mountaintop of college football. You want to start winning Big Ten championships again and making it to Indy and things of that sort. And so you add all of that together and you got a chance to win consecutive games in this rivalry for the first time in 10 years. You know, Michigan, I'm sure, will be fired up for it, especially considering what happened the last time these two teams played in Ann Arbor. Absolutely. All right, Harold, uh, appreciate you stopping by again. Once again, this is the Stat Head segment. We'll be doing it weekly. And uh, good to sit down with you and, and crunch these numbers and uh, just chop it up. So thanks again. No, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it next week. Thanks again to Harold, Tom, and Phil for joining us. And it's a lot of fun each week putting these together, you know, just talking to these people with different perspectives on the sport and their different styles and their different approaches to how they cover the sport. It's fun to, to learn not only about them, but obviously, you know, all the insight they have to bring to the table. So I hope uh, listeners out there enjoy learning from these minds as much as I do. And as always, I want to thank my producer, Wes White, for putting these together each and every week. Thanks to everyone out there for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Take 10 Podcast.